for the last six months or more, a big topic of discussion among those in downtown Frederick was homelessness. There are discussions about the Frederick Community Action Agency, safety, even perceptions of a problem. To look at how governments might address homelessness, the News Post sent reporter Colin McGuire to two southern cities to see how they might compare it to Frederick. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is Frederick Uncut. City editor Alan Etzler joins me now to discuss Colin's three stories, which were released last week. So, Alan, you're here to talk a little bit about a series that we just did over the past, I guess, three days out of last week. Yeah, yeah, this was uh, spaced out. Uh, ran Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. It was a series called Addressing Homelessness, written by our city uh, reporter, Colin McGuire. Um, we we know and we've heard from, from countless readers about... Uh, the issues they are are seeing or perceiving to see uh, with the homeless uh, population in particular along the creek. And so we've heard a lot about that, and we've heard a lot of people say not enough is being done. And we saw the fallout of the Mike Spurrier decision uh, to to fire him as the head of the Community Action Agency. Um, And so a couple months ago we wanted to kind of take a look at uh, what other jurisdictions are doing. What are other cities doing to address either perceptions or, or problems uh, to address their homeless population. Um, and so we, we picked two cities uh, that have pretty comparable demographics to us. That's um, Asheville, North Carolina, and Greenville, South Carolina. Um, population sizes are about the same. Uh, poverty rate is pretty close between the two. Um, there are also cities that you hear a lot of people compare us to, um, you know, for their thriving craft beer scene or their thriving arts and, and economic scenes. Um, so we we sent them down to those two cities to basically figure out what they're doing. Um, and so he, he went to a lot of the places that offer services, talked to them, talked to uh, elected officials, you know, the, the challenges that uh, they have in addressing the problem. Do they even think that they have a problem? Uh, talked to the advocates who offer those services, talked to some of the homeless residents, um, and get their vibes and, and what they think. Um, and so he came back and then, and then we said, all right, now go and figure out Frederick, right? You know, draw, like take all of what you learned and bring it back to Frederick for that third series. And so that ran last week. Um, thought it was a, a pretty successful, uh, series. Um, yeah. So I guess one just focus on Frederick is as well as good as Asheville and, and, I've been there and I love that city, but yeah. and Greenville are they're not really Frederick, which is where we are. Um, so it seems like from his third piece, um, which came out Friday, that the the takeaway from that piece was we it, pers- it seems like we have a big homeless prop- population or big homeless problem, right? But that's not actually the case here in Frederick. Yeah, in in one of the quotes, it was maybe like the most shocking thing. It was something it was something along the lines. I don't want to get it completely wrong. It's paraphrased, but there's no better place to be homeless than Frederick. That's, so that that seems shocking to me, given what we've seen from our residents, and, and not that you, you know. So um, I thought that was a surprise, but. But he broke, uh, you know, looked at the other cities and the, and the services that they offer, and they really don't stack up in terms of what, what the city of Frederick offers, in particular the Community Action Agency. Um, so that was, that was really interesting uh, to, to learn. Um, and I, I think uh, with Frederick, it was, it was kind of – I don't think it was entirely surprising to learn 
that people feel like the problem is worse than it is. Um, because people, people panic, I guess people tend to tend to be panicky. Um, and so we've heard so much about how bad this problem is and how bad crime is in particular along the Creek. Uh, The Creek is kind of our downtown gem. So that's where people don't want crime to be happening. Um, but the numbers, you know, from the reporting, the numbers don't bear that out. That that's a crime-ridden area, uh, and that the homeless people or homeless residents are the ones committing those those violent crimes. It's not something that's that's really been bore out uh, by data. So I thought that was a really revealing uh, thing to learn from from that story. Yeah, and I have talked to um, several advocates for those who are trying to. Um help those who are experiencing homelessness and i even just sat down very briefly with the mayor but um you know it's very interesting because they they talk about people hanging out by the creek or hanging out in libraries Mm -hmm. and our shelters are open from like 6 p.m at night to like 7 a.m in the morning so there's that kind of feeling of well where do you want these people to go Mm -hmm. um even if i think the numbers from the point in time survey from last year which we just frederick just conducted their point in time survey which is um it counts how many people are experiencing homelessness on one day of the year to try to um, assess this. Um, and so we'll be getting those results for this year in April. But from last year, it was like 0.11% of our population. And I just remember when I was writing this story, I put that down in, a, um, in one of my articles. And one of my editors even said, you mean 11%? And I was like, no, it's 0.11%. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a lot smaller than I think people realize. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but... You know, one of the things about perception is when you when you see a homeless resident, it's um, it's jarring, right? Seeing somebody homeless is kind of jarring, and so uh, I don't know if that point eleven percent is is growth or down, um, but it feels like from other people that we're that we're seeing homeless people more often, and I think there's this perception among residents that that's a bad thing. I mean, obviously, it's bad when people are underhoused, um, but they're in areas where they can get services and that's that's where the people are so um i I don't think it's i think it's a little jarring to see but i I don't know if that number to me doesn't seem like a a problem even if it's growing yeah and it's technically it's on a downward trend we'll see what happens this year but um it'll be interesting to see too because i think when you first when colin first started working on this story it was in the summer months and it was warm and people stay outside cause it's warm. And now we're in February and it's cold and people don't want to be, I mean, even I don't want to stay outside and, you know, for more than an hour if I have to, because right. it's cold. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about the point in time survey is they they seem to always do it in the cold, cold weather months. Is there a reason for that? They said that it's because, um, people are more, um, aggregated in one spot. Um, yeah. you, oh, there's one, I mean, talking about services in Frederick, there's, um, one hot meal during lunch at Rescue Mission, one hot meal at night um, at the Frederick Community Action Agency. Um, so you can get a lot of people there because they're definitely coming for that hot meal. But also they might be at their campsites where it's colder or they might be in areas that they know yeah. um, because it's colder. So I think that's where they um, find they found that that's where it's easier to find people that there than maybe when people right. are walking around because it's warmer. Yeah, and so so Colin uh, he started working on this series in the summer months, but he was he was down in Asheville and Greenville in December. Um, but if there was one maybe shortcoming of that is that we didn't address weather and, and weather in the South is a lot different than up here. You're, you're more like you are battling elements up here that you're not battling in, in the South. It's a little bit more, 
uh, quote, uh, bad word to use is comfortable, but like, mm. uh, it's, it, there's not as, um, as much danger from the weather as you would experience up here. So that's maybe one of the shortcomings of, of that, um, that I think maybe people don't really realize is, is here when it gets cold, like you have to understand people, there, there are people who don't have anywhere to go, don't feel like they can go anywhere. And that's, that's scary. Um, yeah, and I think Colin tapped into a lot of the um, the services here in Frederick. I, there are, I think even for me, I technically uh, will cover homelessness under social services, so I do a lot of reporting on this. Like, there's just so many more resources than I think we think of. Like, immediately I can say Rescue Mission, which he talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentioned Faith House, which is specifically for homeless women or women who are fleeing domestic violence. Um, that's also under Rescue Mission. There is um, the Cold Weather Shelter, which is run by Religious Coalition for Emergency Human Needs. Um, and then there's Community Action Agency. But then there is Advocates for Homeless. Um, there is or Homeless Families. There is um, SHIP, which is Student Homelessness Initiative Program, I believe it yep, is. Yep, partnership. Partnership, sorry. Um, so just to name a few, there's a lot of ones that are tackling different areas. There's the Food Bank, which are also doing it. Um, churches, which um, right now with family shelters, it's a, a scattered program. So if churches have stepped up to say, right. hey, we're going to house these people. Um, and when you say families. scattered program, explain that for, for yeah. listeners. Yeah, so it's um, instead of having like one shelter where people can come to because they don't have the building yet, they're, they're currently working on a property at Hayward to turn it into a family shelter. But right now, um, each church will kind of take on like a family and they'll stay there for like two weeks. And it's just very much scattered throughout um, the area because they have multiple churches willing to help. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Frederick is, is, um, everybody talks about how great and, and a giving community it is. And I think it, it shows itself for its homeless residents. And that's why it's been a little bit surprising to hear kind of the public outcry, um, against, you know, them along, the, along the Creek and near the community action agency. Um, because it just, you know, these are the people who, need services the most and we're trying to kind of shun them in a lot of ways which has been been surprising yeah i mean in some sense i can kind of see you want to have this frederick down especially the downtown area you want it to be this cute um not like quaint but still growing kind of area where people come down on their weekends to shop and step into one of the breweries or bars or um you know shop eat so you want people and you don't want people coming in and seeing the aspects of frederick life that might not be glamorous but i do think it would be important for us to continue to report on this and why people are so quick to put the blame on those who are less fortunate for sure well is there anything else you think we should know about colin's series uh i mean i hope you guys give it a read uh it was it was long so there's that but um it was interesting to me to hear the perceptions from other cities um you know, one of the things that I think our mayor has done a good job of is acknowledging that he wants to help our homeless residents. He wants he acknowledges that we do have challenges uh, with our, our underhoused population or unhoused population. Um, and if you look at the story uh, about Greenville, South Carolina, for instance, the mayor basically just said, we don't have a homeless I mean, there's Nobody knows where the homeless people are. There's no. But if you talk to the advocates in that city, they are like, what What in the hell is that guy talking about? Like, there's clearly a need for more resources for homeless people. Um, so I, I think it's interesting to watch how public officials uh, who we elect respond to that or treat that pop like that population because they aren't voters most of the time. Um, you could argue that 
they don't need to to look out for them but i think you inherently have to uh and so it's nice to see our our mayor you know taking um taking steps now i think uh our editorial board has called for um him to release kind of a plan what exactly what action steps are you going to to take to address this need um but he's made it clear that it's a priority it's just what are those actions going to be i think is to be determined and and to be seen kind of uh hopefully in the near future yeah one thing i think that we're gonna have to follow on too is the other side of this coin which is affordable housing which anytime you say that that also has a lot of weird perceptions around it but um you can only house so many people in frederick right now and I think that's another component that kind of gets disconnected from this talk about those experiencing homelessness is you can do all these services, you can provide them food, you can help them try to get a career, but if ultimately if there's no place for them to go. Right. Ultimately, the only way that you end homelessness is to build houses for them, for those people, give them a house. Um, so, and that was actually one of the things that Asheville has done a nice job of, and they have a fund where they, where they I think it's something like $2 million to, to build houses specifically for homeless folks. Um, and part of the the Greenville the Greenville series that we didn't get to because it was a different city is kind of on the outside and we just did we just ran out of time. Um, it's called Greer City, and there is um, a nonprofit of seniors who are building tiny homes, a tiny home village for the homeless residents, so they have houses. And I think that's a really brilliant solution of, from the private sector of how we can address homelessness. Um, so I think it's going to be obviously. Uh, you know, we have the resources, we have all those things, but ultimately to build those houses is going to have to be a public and private sector venture. And I'm not sure that anybody's committed to that yet. So it'll be interesting to continue to follow. Yeah. All right. Well, Alan, thank you so much for jumping in to talk about Colin's story. But since I have you here, um, let's just talk about what else is coming up this week. Sure. So, um, uh, it's February 3rd, so we're in, in, uh, Black History Month and our education reporter, Katrina Pereira, um, is going to an event uh, at Urbana High School that their um, Black Student Association, I, I hope I got the name of the organization right, um, uh, is hosting a assembly tonight um, that will celebrate uh, the cultures of Africa through a fashion show, uh, and then they'll work their way um, from Africa to the U.S. and, and look at... Um, the different uh, black movements in history, so like the Harlem Renaissance and things like that. So I just think that's a really cool way for a school, in particular student-run organization, to uh, to celebrate a month that we don't pay a ton of attention to. Um, so I, I'm really excited to see how that turns out. I'm also excited to see the fashion show, because that's going to be super cool. I, I love African uh, culture clothes. Um, they're so colorful and they're so vibrant. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see that. Uh, and then the other story that we haven't really talked about on the podcast that I'm aware of too much, maybe you've talked about it with Steve Bonnell, but it's uh, what Emmitsburg has been dealing with yes. for months now. And uh, residents have been experiencing brown water for months. And I don't, you know, I, no one knows why. Um, I, it, I don't think it's it's dang, It's considered dangerous to drink, but uh, no one wants to drink brown water. No one wants to bathe in brown water. That's, that's the opposite of cleaning. Uh, so... It's been really interesting to watch a town struggle with why their water is brown. They have no idea what the cause is. They're still working on it. Um, but Steve is updating that story this week, and, and now we're starting to see the state and county officials get involved. Um, and so now the town is going to look for, for grants from the state to address that problem. But it's hard to address the problem when you don't know the cause, where it's coming from. Uh, they've been doing uh, water line work. 
which hasn't seemed to to fix it yet. So uh, this is I think this is something that might drag on for a, a while. You know, it won't be to the extent of like a Flint, Michigan, I don't think. But um, I think we're I, I'm not sure we're going to see a solution um, in the first half of the year, which is sort of concerning. Yeah, I think it's this story is so interesting because I covered a whole one Emmitsburg meeting when I first took over and was theoretically covering Emmitsburg as a as a town. Um, and they were talking about they were fixing their their water uh, lines and their pipes and just I think they were still using clay, so they they were just really really old. And then you so Emmitsburg's clearly dealing with this, but just the other day I was looking at Facebook and my friend over in Westminster also has brown water, Fort Detrick has notoriously bad water where they have mm. brown water constantly. Um, and they are, they just live with it at this point. It's been something that's happened. They just know, get the uh, jugs of water from the store and don't bathe when it's brown. Um, but it's just very interesting to see. You know, we, we think we're living in such an advanced society and then all of a sudden your water turns brown and you're like, yeah. how is this happening? <laughs> and you don't necessarily know, but then you f- start learning about how long it's been since right. water pipes have been t- handled. Yeah, and you know, that's kind of one of the interesting things. Everybody, you know, we tout the history of, of Frederick County and it is an old, old county and a lot of these towns are old, old towns and you're having eight old, old infrastructure like underneath these towns. Um, and so you're kind of starting to see some of that, I think, maybe in, in certain areas. Uh, particularly Emmitsburg seems like they're dealing with it now. Uh, aging infrastructure in small municipal towns is is a fascinating uh, probably story um, just because it's so expensive to replace it. Mm-hmm. And these towns don't have that kind of money. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely uh, – it's been fascinating to watch. I'm actually surprised we won't hear more of it from the other towns, but, I, you know, maybe that's something that comes down the road. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, as you said, we might not have a resolution for just the brown water alone in yeah. the first half of the year. But then to think about Emmitsburg spending this much money, now that they're looking for grants, that's great. But right. they had to bear a lot of that front before, so that will affect other things that they didn't right. plan for. Yeah, and it's one of those things, you know, this is um, this is something that can tear a town apart. You know, I, I, we've seen, you know, we've covered uh, small towns uh, even at for competing news organizations, and, and we watched, uh, you know, Mount Airy feel like they were <laughs> tearing each other apart um, uh, two or three years ago. Now, uh, these these types of big issues where the residents are are up in arms and unhappy, and they're they're blaming uh, other organizations for you know fl- flushing their pipes, even though that's not something that's caused brown water in the past. You know, they're playing the blame game. Uh, this is something that could be very difficult for town officials to to calm down if they can't get a if they can't get a solution. Yeah, absolutely. So that's definitely a story that Steve will be keeping his eye on. Yeah, for sure. He's done a great job covering it. Um, so yeah. Yeah, talk about sticking with the story when he first said uh, <laughs> Emmitsburg has brown water. We were like, all right, whatever. And now he's and he's like, no, 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 this is an issue. And he was yeah. right. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Anything else you think we should know? I think that's it right now. The week is it's still early in the week, so we're still kind of developing uh, the rest of the stories uh, and seeing where they go, but yeah. All right. Well, Alan, I know that I was teasing you the past couple of weeks uh, by starting off by talking about sports, so I just want to offer our condolences on live for the 49ers. I was I was rooting for uh, them. Yeah, they choked it away. It happens. I mean, I've gone through, I've watched my team <laughs> do multiple things during the Super Bowl, but we were hoping for Jimmy G. Also, I did not realize the 49ers had that many rings. All of a sudden, someone was like, well, we don't want them to win because they will tie the Patriots for rings. And I was oh, like, yeah. I didn't know that they had that many. <laughs> yeah, until uh, 2012, they were one of the only teams to be undefeated in the Super Bowl. They were 5-0. and um, And now they've lost the last two. 
So we're not getting that sixth ring, which is... You know, the Patriots went through two horrible losses, and then they came back, and they won other ones, so... Yeah, well, it helps when you're there every single year. Yeah, you know, you we were there you this can't year. Be, you can't be there once every 10 years and, and lose. Well, hopefully with um, Jimmy G as your quarterback, you guys will be back there again. Hope so. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate you having me. You can read all of the News Post's coverage, including Colin's three stories, at fredericknewspost.com. Every Thursday, food and education reporter Katrina Pereira shares her take on a local or nearby restaurant. This week, she traveled to Hagerstown. Um, so, Katrina, where did you go this week? This week, I um, went outside the county. I went to Hagerstown to try Mizu Japanese restaurant. All right, perfect. So what made you decide to leave Frederick County and explore Hagerstown? So I've uh, done a restaurant in Hagerstown before, uh, Foster's on the Point, but um, I decided to go back out because, you know, people travel to go to restaurants, and some people in the western parts of the county, like Middletown, may, you know, go up to Hagerstown, so I want to be all-inclusive. Perfect. Well, my favorite part about your food reviews is sometimes you bring back the food for us to talk, uh, for us to, sorry, to take photos of. Uh, And so this time you also got to bring some back. Um, So you brought back, what, two sushi rolls and some hibachi? There was two sushi rolls and hibachi, yep. And were those the two rolls that you found the best on the menu, or why did you pick those to come back? Yeah, actually, you hit it on the point. Um, Those were the two rolls that were my favorite that I tried. Um, So one of them was the Mizu roll, um, their kind of self-named roll, um, which is like these really big chunks of tuna, salmon, yellowtail, and avocado all wrapped in like a green soy paper. Um, And then the other is the Hagerstown roll, uh, which is crab, cucumber, and avocado, I believe. Um, I can't really remember. But the thing that makes that roll so special is the topping, which is like cooked shredded crab meat with chunks of shrimp and a little bit of sesame seeds in there, all kind of tossed with this um, spicy mayo. It's delicious. Well, so to first go back to the mizu, mizu roll. Mizu yep. roll, thank you. Um, the the soy paper that is wrapped in it, when you say it's green, like it's this beautiful, vibrant green. Yeah, and it makes the roll so much prettier because you have, you know, these like, this like pink of the tuna, the pink of the salmon, the like white of the yellowtail, and then you have avocado with there, and then it's all wrapped up in this like beautiful like bright lime green soy paper it's like the prettiest sushi roll i've ever seen <laughs> it's pretty good when I, I got to try it um i joke to you the only thing i don't like about sushi and i pretty much love sushi is that <laughs> sometimes the rolls are a little bit big i almost feel like i might choke mm-hmm. which i found was in this case a little bit but it was good enough you know in a good sense that it was i was getting a lot of flavors um i think some other people said that maybe the tuna was a little overpowering i think i got it was tuna and is it yellowtail? Yep. I think I got either the yellowtail and scallion a little bit more than the, maybe the tuna or salmon. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a pretty good roll for like taking, you know, one bite and getting the, all those flavors. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it is a little big, but the upside of that is that the pieces of fish in there are huge. So you're getting a lot of fresh fish for, you know, what you're paying. And the other roll was... Well, I think I joked, I don't even know how I'm going to get this out of the container because <laughs> it was a little bit of mess, but in the same sense that you get a lot when you order this roll absolutely the rolls at mizu are definitely a little bigger but i think it's worth the price and so before we move on to hibachi which you can also get sushi can be kind of expensive so what is the price range for sushi here um so it's pretty typical i would say most of their traditional rolls you know like california roll 
uh, spicy tuna roll, that sort of thing. It's going to be anywhere in your like eight to ten dollar range. And then their specialty rolls, like the ones we just talked about, uh, can range anywhere from ten to eighteen dollars, depending on what's in them. Perfect. And so for you who, you know, trying different sushis, is this a good bang for your buck when it comes to sushi? I think so. Absolutely. And there's so many options. I mean, the amount of specialty rolls takes up two pages on the menu at Mizu. So you can literally find something for everyone. Perfect. And what about hibachi? Because I know that was another thing that you brought back. Yeah. So hibachi, they have a lot of options. You know, you can do chicken steak. You can do combinations where it's like steak and scallops, steak and shrimp. Um, all very, very good. I mean, I did the hibachi with steak and it was cooked perfectly. It was so juicy and tender. It was amazing. And this is not like a hibachi place where you might go and get the tables. It's it, right. They bring it to you. They bring it to you. It's all cooked in the kitchen and they bring it to you. So is this a place that might be more described as a sushi place with hibachi option or is it a hibachi place with sushi, sushi options? I actually would describe it as just like a Japanese restaurant. You know, they have sushi they have hibachi they have udon they have you know fried rice it's kind of an all japanese type affair going on all right perfect and, and we talked about prices for sushi how about hibachi it's a- the hibachi is a little pricier um it's gonna probably cost you anywhere between 20 and 30 dollars all right perfect and do you try anything else i did i tried their udon um which was great i traditionally udon is served in a soup but mizu actually gives you the option if you want to stir fry it Mm. which i chose because i wasn't really feeling soup that day i mean i got it with shrimp and it was just like your perfect stir fry dish i mean like all those flavors that you want out of a stir fry like sesame and all of that is in there so that's perfect i really love udon and i have to say like my Udon experience goes back to like Disney World at Epcot, <laughs> which makes it a little harder to find like a like an udon that matches up to that. But I always love to get it, just like hoping that I'll get that like perfect like right. udon. But it's cool that you can also have it in a stir fry. Yeah, if you're not really a soup person, you can still get those noodles. All right, perfect. Anything else we should know? No, I mean it's a little bit of a drive, maybe for some people in the county, but it might be worth it. All right, perfect. And well, just since you mentioned Hagerstown, is this some place that you think you might go back to? Not for a while. Um, (laughs) You know, let me go back to focusing on places in the county. But, you know, every once in a while, readers can definitely expect and listeners can expect, um, you know, a Hagerstown spot. So if you're close to Hagerstown and it's or even in Frederick, it's maybe like 30 minutes. Maybe not Brunswick, where it's like an hour. But (laughs) uh, if you're near nearby Frederick and you're, you're craving some Japanese food, a good place to go. Absolutely. All right, perfect. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. You can read Katrina's reporting in 72 hours, which comes out every Thursday in the print edition and online at fredericknewspost.com. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.